This episode of the Pursuit Podcast is presented by Fisher Skis. Yo, what's up? How goes it, everybody? Mr. Adam X, your host, Pursuit Podcast. You're listening on the Auto Collective. You know it. You love it. If you love it, or if you hate it, leave a review. Let us know what you think. It's so crazy, but it helps us so much more than you actually understand. So leave a review. Put Adam X in there so Adam and I can stop fighting over which Adam they're talking about because clearly they're talking about Adam X. Follow me on Instagram. Follow Collective on Instagram. Send us DMs. We want to talk to you guys. Ski season is like actually happening now. So let's talk about it. If you have something, a hot take, or whatever, we have a phone number you can call. I guess I should probably find that. So I will find that and I'll get it to you. But you can call and you could say, hey, Adam X, this show slaps. What do you think about these boots? We'll play it on the air. We'll talk about it. Until then, really, I'm just going to play this. Bing bong. Because I don't have any other sound clips for you. Such a fantastic episode for you this week. It is so good. And it's probably one of my most timely episodes. But before we get into that episode, I got to talk a couple of my sponsors. The, you know, the, the grease that makes this cog spin. My first sponsor this week that I want to talk about is Cetus. Cetus insoles. Here's the thing, guys. You spend so much time on your boots. You spend a lot of money on your boots, getting everything fit properly, and then you have those paper-thin insoles in there. So go to cetus-us.store. Check it out. They make so many rad insoles for different feats, low, high, mid, depending on your arch. They make a merino wool one. They make a winter one. They make breathable ones, gel ones. Go to cetus check them out it's like honestly it changed the way my boot fit because now my foot is supported so again we spend all this time boot fitting all this money on our boots it's like an insane thing we have 900 boots and we have paper thin insoles so go to cetus-us.store check out all their insoles use their insole finder it'll help you help you understand what you need why you need it they make custom ones if you want to go to your favorite boot fitter and get a custom molded one. They are so rad. I'm so happy to be working with them. My second sponsor this week, 686. I just got my brand new kit from 686. I'm so hyped to show everybody. I've got the Men's Gore-Tex Pro 3L Thermograph Jacket and Pant. I've got a little water storage. I've got like a little hydro stash in there so I can just drink while I'm hiking and absolutely crumbling myself because I didn't train enough. All of their snow apparel is so good and it's all dropped on the website. Technical fit, powder skirts, technical zippers, snow sealed zippers, Gore-Tex. They've got insulated ones. If you want a Grateful Dead collab, I'm sure they got plenty of that. And if you're not into the snow stuff, check out their pants. I'm telling you, I haven't taken these pants off. I think I hold the record now for most days in a men's everywhere pant. They have slim fit, relaxed fit, cargo pant. These guys are way more trendy than I am. They just dropped the shoe collab. So check that out on outofcollective.com. We just posted about it. But again, go to 686.com. Check out everything they have to offer. These guys make me cooler. I'm a 36-year-old ski bum, 
and now I'm like a Gen Z. So check them out. Okay, let's talk about this episode. I'm so hyped on this episode. I have two guests, Nate Lubay and Sophia Schwartz. They are, it's an interesting take. So they did a video project called Beyond the Summit. Sophia is one of many athletes, part of the group. And then Nate is the filmer and co-director. So Beyond the Summit is available now on YouTube, on the North Face New Tube, YouTube, type in Beyond the Summit. And it's basically a... It's a ski film, it's ski porn, it's a science project. Kit Delorier is kind of the brainchild behind it all, and it's so neat and it's so cool to see athletes doing things they care about. Skiing can be a very selfish sport, so Kit has found a way to give back. Uh, We should all care about the climate and that it's getting warmer. I think that we can all agree on that. So Kit builds a super team of Sarah Carpenter, Jim Morrison, Sophia Schwartz. We'll put Nate in that group as well. But it talks about their journeys. It's a 30-minute film. It's so good. We kind of tiptoe around what the whole project is about until the end because we want you to watch the film before you listen to this. But if you don't, there's no major spoilers. So I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did because it's things we should care about. You learn all about Sophia's pet rock. Tips and tricks from Nate about his camera gear and what he used while out there. And really, like we talk about the Arctic Refuge and how it's important. So again, hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did. We did it, guys. We all made it. We're here on time. Nate, Sophia, thanks for being here, first off. Secondly, why are we here? I don't know who wants to go first. I don't know how we're going to do this because we never do three people. So this is just going to be a battle of mouths here. Ooh, we'll pass it to Nate because he's the co-director. That's like his whole role is selling this film. I guess that's true, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I think we're kind of just here to talk about how rad skiing is. But the I guess the overarching theme is that tomorrow morning, yesterday morning at the time that this will air, um, the documentary that Sophia and I participated in called Beyond the Summit will be live on the North Face YouTube channel. Uh, very exciting. We filmed it back in April. I started working on it in January, so it's been 11 months of my life. I am so excited for it to finally go live and for everybody to see it. And Adam, you actually watched it and you called it the future of ski films, which I have an appointment to get that tattooed on my neck uh, <laughs> later this week. Well, pers- <laughs> I, I do mean that because I'm so tired of like actual ski porn yeah that it was refreshing to watch a story be told when like there's not and people listening are like what but once you watch it you get it like it's not just ski porn it's not just powder and it's mission based but even like the missions aren't necessarily like we are going to get the deepest turns that we've ever had. There's like one beautiful shot of Jim Morrison. That's just like, and it's like, like he's making a left hander. but like, that's all I need. Then the rest is a story. And I need that. And I think, I think maybe I'm wrong, but this is starting the trend of skiers caring. Our art. Let me say this. So it's kit. Dolores is the proper way to say her last name. Delorier. Delorier. See, I, 
don't know, whatever. I'm a butcher. It's fine. So it's Kit, basically. She's done all these crazy things. I don't want to like give too much away, but the movie's out. So if you haven't watched it at this point, go watch it. It's 34 minutes, and then you can come back to this. But she's skied the Seven Summits, and now she has a family, and it's the whole, like, what's next? And I think we all battle with the what's next in our lives, whether we're 20, 30, 40, 50. Like, it doesn't, it just, that will always continue to happen. So Kit basically builds a super group of skiers, which I love the film about that. Like, cause it's like Kit builds a super team, which leads me to a question for Sophia. How do you feel falling into this list? And I mean this with like the greatest, kindest heart of my life, but it's like Kit skeets all seven summits, Sarah Carpenter, scientist, nerd, snow science, Jim Morrison, like more experienced than everyone. And then it's like, Sophia, US ski team Mogler. Like, what are you doing back here? <laughs> and I mean that in every possible way, like nicest way. But like, how did you get picked? How did you make the cut? Yeah, for sure. I'm definitely the rando rookie of the crew. Um, I wrote an article about it and kind of what it means to like be a mentee. But there was sort of a f- funny moment every day where we'd kind of talk about our roles, you know, and you'd be like, Kit and Jim, you're going to do this. Like, Sarah, you're taking over, like, snow and, like, film crew. Get ready to go. And Sophia, like, would you boil water and get, like, coffee going? Like, (laughs) you could be happy, I guess. Um, But, yeah, I think I love that kind of mentee random rookie role it like fits me really well I'm excited to show up to things um but I've gotten to become good friends with Kit we both live in Jackson together um so she's become one of my main ski partners good friends and mentor so I kind of got the rando invite um for a spot on the trip to just be team stoke I think did you ever feel like you weren't supposed to be there Ooh, good question. I don't think so. I mean, I think Kit and I are really close. We probably ski like once a week these days um, and just have a really close friendship. It definitely felt like a gift, I think. I think there were a lot of other people who could have had that roster spot. Um, And so I think the whole film team, including Nate and Natasha um, and Kit, really like worked to bring me in. Um, So it felt really like loving and supporting to kind of you know, scheme of like, how can we get Sophia up there and to like join us? So it felt like more a character than necessarily like there for any like particular like box checking role. I think like one, you, you absolutely rip on skis. So like anyone who's listening, who's like, who is this person? Like Google her. She rips you are an insane mogul skier. You're actually an insane, like you just get pegged in this mogul category. I don't like you throw like the biggest backcountry backflips of anyone I see just floating around the internet. Like you are not just a mogler at this point, but it was like a funny, even how Kit pitched it in the movie. It's just like, yeah, she's on the US ski team. She rips moguls. Oh, here's Sarah. She's a scientist. Like it, I it just, it was like a written, obviously it's a movie and it's a script, but like, I felt like I was watching a superhero movie where they're just like, oh, and that's, I don't know, Michelangelo. Like he's a party dude. Yeah, yeah and, for sure. I mean, it's just a team of legends. Oh, my goodness. And Kit lobbied so hard for Sophia. Like, definitely not an afterthought. Um, 
we had like some budgetary issues in the beginning where we weren't sure if we could bring one athlete or two athletes or like maybe I would be the only person running a camera up there. And like, I kid you not twice a week, Kit would text Natasha and I and be like, Hey, so what about Sophia? Could she just like be in my luggage maybe? Or like, what if she just like pushes my skis with her hands and I'll stand on them? It was like, it was the funny, like every day brainstorming some way to get Sophia up there. It was awesome to see. And yeah, I made the cut because I weigh 110 pounds. So I didn't take up too much of the, the plain weight, you know? Yeah, <laughs> like literally like, part of it. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, that's. Okay, she won't take that much fuel. It's those okay, are all things that need to be considered, though. Like you guys flying into like remote locations and you talk about it in the film, how one scary it is like if it snows you don't have a rescue and two like every ounce matters not only because you're you're carrying it and you're touring but like 210 pound out of shape adam doesn't get an invite even if he's the perfect fit for that role but like you're 200 pounds you there's no room for you absolutely (laughs) nate how did you get involved in this film this has been a long circuitous path actually so um the other director natasha and i would like to clarify i am her co-director and not the other way around she is a badass in the film world i am honored to have gotten to work with her but her and i have been friends for two years now um we met kind of randomly through a friend of a friend he was just like hey you guys are both cool you should hang out and we started brainstorming this other random idea that i had And we worked on it so freaking hard for well over a year, Um, got into like late conversations with both Netflix and HBO, and it ended up not happening. And we actually picked Sophia independently as the star of that project, which is how we met her. We interviewed basically every like badass woman skier we could find and settled on her. And we, you know, we worked super hard to get it going. It just ended up not really happening but we had like established this great relationship with Sophia and Kit Delorier and uh in I think January Kit just came to us and she was like hey North Face wants me to go to the Brooks do you guys want to film it like we've done all this work together pitching this other project I trust Natasha to like do this correctly Nate knows how to ski let's make this happen and that was honestly that was that was pretty much how it it went was like a, a huge leap of faith on Kit she knew she had this project and she thought that we would be able to handle it. And then that was like, I think I was in the country of Georgia on assignment skiing uh, when Natasha called me and I just came home and basically like we hit the ground running, trying to find funding. I um, dramatically stepped up my cardio workouts because I was like, well, I've seen Sophia hike and I know that Kit will destroy me. So (laughs) that was it. Yeah. We were just off to the races. How... It's got to be such a because I think about this a lot and I we talked about it for a second, but like I've been a photographer for a long time and I'm clearly a skier. But like. Do again, it's imposter syndrome, like you're super comfortable with your camera. I think everyone knows that like that you crush it. There's always imposter syndrome with everything we do, but like that is your profession. Now we bring skiing into it. Are you like, oh, shit, I'm not ready for this did you feel ready were you confident in those zones like what does that look like how does that feel yeah that's fair I mean I grew up skiing I grew up in the mountains of Colorado I consider myself like an above average skier I guess like I'm pretty strong on skis but um uh, you know 
name another person alive who's Kit Delorier strong on skis. And so that, <laughs> yeah, Sophia's shaking her head for those of you who aren't watching the video. That definitely, like, that's intimidating, of course, you know, it's like, you can be good, but world-class is a different level. So yeah, I was super intimidated by that. And it kind of culminated in um, the end of March, Kit got inducted into the Ski and Snowboard Hall of Fame. And I went out to film that and Sophia was there and we just took some some laps around Sun Valley. And there was a moment when there was like three or four Hall of Fame skiers plus Sophia and I, and I was like, oh shit, yeah, I am definitely not the best in this group. <laughs> I was like keeping up, but a little bit worried for my life. Yeah, because there are, I can name one, which I won't, but like I know there was a ski project that happened in the last, we'll say five years. And the filmers couldn't keep up with the skiers, like the touring, the everything. And like the, no one will ever tell the story publicly and neither will I because it's not my job. But it's like that's something that you, when you sign up, you can't be you, the filmer can't be the one slowing everyone down. Yeah. And we were, to be fully honest with you in Alaska, like we definitely were slower than the athletes because filming just takes time. Like that's a, the unfortunate reality is that one of the currencies of film production is time. And it, you just have to take the time to set up shots. You can't be sprinting and like shooting entirely on the fly. You won't get what you need. Um, hopefully we didn't slow them down so much that Kit hates us forever, but um, you know, it's, for sure. Filming is slower than just skiing. And that's like the biggest challenge. I have so much respect for people like uh, Renan Ozturk and Jimmy Chin, who are world-class athletes and world-class photographers and filmmakers, because that is such a difficult two things to become elite at simultaneously. Yeah. And I don't even mean it. Like, obviously, if you have to set up a shot, you set up a shot. But like, I always say, arguably, the filmer has to be in better shape than the athletes. Like, if you look at some of those shots where it looks like Kit is setting the skin track, like you've clearly set that skin track and gotten above to get that shot. Like it's, and I'm saying it out loud, one, to give you credit, like hats off. I noticed those things. Maybe everyone doesn't it, but for everyone listening, like every shot, there's a filmer there somewhere doing something, unless it's obviously a GoPro shot, which you can usually tell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What are you shooting with? Um, I'm a Sony ambassador, so I, I prefer to shoot Sony. And that was actually really convenient for this because um, we did a lot of the interviews on a, a red camera, but th that's just so much weight in the field, especially when you're trying to you know, do a first ascent ski line. Um, so we did uh, mostly the Sony a7S III and the FX3, which for all intents and purposes is the same camera with two different names. <laughs> Thank you for saying that publicly. <laughs> Are you shooting gimbal? No gimbal? We had a gimbal. We didn't use it uh, a ton. We used like cages and handles um, for like, we did some motion stuff with the gimbal, but for the most part, um, ski touring isn't quite as dramatic as like a ripping downhill scene. And so like just putting it on a tripod and doing like a pan or just, you know, handheld next to them was plenty people listening are like what the fuck are these guys talking about even sophia's in the corner like nerds <laughs> don't <laughs> don't care sophia what do you bring on this trip like what is let me ask you a couple and things my ability to boil water yeah you <laughs> just a lot of food prep <laughs> but when it's so when fun. you when you're planning for this trip is everyone packing their bags separately or is it like okay you're carrying this 
Kit, you're carrying this. Sarah, you've got this. Jim, you have this. And together we have everything. Yeah, we definitely arrived in Alaska a few days early to do a big gear sort. Um, that is part of it for sure. Um, coming together, you know, deciding what kind of tents we wanted, what kind of cooking systems. Um, there's a lot of group gear for sure. Everyone sort of has their individual layers and their own kind of like personal equipment. But even, you know, on this adventure, trying to decide how many ice screws to bring and what, you know, ropes to bring on top of all of the other winter camping gear and everything we needed to survive out there for 16 days in sub zero temps. <laughs> Was there something that you brought that you wouldn't bring again? Oh man, good question. Not so much on this trip. Um, on Denali the previous year, I was really proud of myself because I found a used inflatable pillow at a gear store and I'm like a bit of a skid. So I was excited to like buy that for cheap. And then I arrived on Denali and blew it up and it was like an airport pillow that goes around <laughs> your neck and not a real pillow. And I was very, very sad about that moment. Uh, but I learned and I grew and that's the whole point of going on previous expeditions. So I felt pretty dialed in the gear kit on this adventure. Is there something you always bring that you probably shouldn't bring? Like a rabbit's Ooh. foot or like a, I don't know, people have all types of weird stuff in their bags. Yeah, I'm a superstitious human, um, but I don't think necessarily, you can't, you're just like counting your ounces. Um, I feel like, let's see here, bougie things on this trip were like nice instant coffee. That's how you can tell this was like a legit, that's how you know you're with like the legends is I'm like cutting corners and buying like the cheapest coffee you can find. And they're like, ooh, like let's pre-order delicious roasted coffee that's dried and instant for our adventure. And you're like, dang, y'all are fancy. Um, so I feel like that's the most extravagant thing we brought. Um, and then I think, yeah, I don't know. I have a pair of sleeping socks that's pretty extravagant in my life. Um, just a little bit bigger and baggier, so you're not cutting off your circulation. Um, I'm a very cold human being, so I was the only person who brought a negative 40 bag, um, which was really hard to stuff into my backpack when we transitioned from sleds to just hauling everything up to our like kind of high camp on Hubli. Um, so maybe that was the extravagant thing is no one else needed a negative 40 bag. <laughs> I'm a fan of the negative. I have a negative 30 bag and everyone's like, that is so, and I'm like, no, don't care. Like the extra weight yeah. is worth me sleeping comfortably. Cause if I get bad sleep, I don't function. So like, yeah, totally. what about you, Nate? Do you have anything that like you shouldn't have brought um, or in hindsight, you would, let's say equipment hindsight, you wouldn't have brought. That's, I mean, yeah, I guess that's kind of a tough question. There was definitely a lot of stuff that we didn't uh, use. Like we all brought a climbing rack, not like cams and stuff, but we brought like a lot more slings and whatnot than we needed to. And we ended up ditching a lot of that at the bottom. Uh, but I think I don't regret bringing it necessarily. Oh, you know what? I uh, accidentally kept my street shoes in my duffel. Uh, I put my ski boots on and there was just like a hurricane of stuff going on. I, we got to like out into the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge and we were making camp and I was like, oh, wow, I have I have approach shoes on my sled <laughs> for the next hundred miles of my life. So I regret that for sure. But I don't know, like Sophia said, I kind of I loved being there with the legends because like we ate a lot of real food. I'm also kind of a skid and like I'll go backpacking and eat like a peanut butter tortilla for lunch every day for 10 days straight. And it was kind of fun with like Kit and Jim because they're like, we've roughed it before and this is like we're doing it right so we've had like 
legitimate cheeseburgers with like actual ground beef a couple nights and it was it was pretty cool like we had the last night out there we had like real sausages it was amazing yeah i think that stuff's i mean obviously it's not always obtainable and worth it but all of my missions have switched to that i remember the first time i went to mount washington i like had like nothing but like granola bars and like everyone I was with was like pulling out like chicken finger subs and pizza and I was like oh we can just eat whatever we want out here like for like a big day mission you know I was always like it's so funny and then I've been trying to publicly tell everyone like you don't just have to eat like now my girlfriend's been ski touring so she just buys like cliff bars and I'm like you can eat whatever you want like we're not out there all day where like it really really matters you need something but like couple Swedish fish in your pocket like if that changes morale and it's crazy how much food like changes your mindset when you're like just totally in the dumps and you're just I did a tour last year where it was like just about zero degrees we'd gotten like 15 inches of fresh powder so it was a great day out and I was with a new guy I hadn't toured with before as part of our group and we got to the top and I was like trying to break off pieces of my frozen PB and J and he pulled out a thermos of hot clam chowder yeah. I was like, you might be the smartest man I've ever met in my entire life. That's yeah, that's off. it's totally it worth life. it. Yeah, it's like it's funny when you like realize that you're like, oh, well, this smart. is an important. <laughs> well, this is an important thing that I should carry, and like weight is important. But like, if this cheeseburger <laughs> changes my morale and I'm like in a better place and I can continue to like push, that's a lot better than me eating like Ritz crackers for the next six days and again there's light and fast times but like i'm not doing any of those missions (laughs) so you do mount hubley which is what is mount hubley it's the fourth fifth third i don't remember second second i I knew there's a number in there and this was kind of like kit's final of the five that's she that was her final one right yeah, she'd skied four of the five tallest peaks in the U.S. Arctic. So this is the the second tallest peak in the U.S. Arctic and I guess the second tallest in the Brooks Range. So we went to go bag that. And then I guess to our knowledge, we're the first team to ski it and maybe like the third or fourth team to climb it. There's not really a lot of records online, so that number could be so off, but that was what we found. There's probably like three locals that just lap that all the time and they're just mad that this video is going to drop. Probably. Yeah. I mean, there's also like a lot of really cool people that just do this stuff and don't write about it. So it's like hard to know because I did a lot of research to find out if this was the first descent just for like marketing and storytelling purposes. I couldn't find anyone who'd skied it or anyone who had climbed it since like 1956. And then Kit just on a phone call was like, oh, I called Tommy Caldwell yesterday and he climbed it uh, last year. And I was like, oh, yeah, he was bored and he went for a walk. (laughs) He walked his dog. Yeah, so it's like, I don't know. There's probably been 100 people up that we, they just didn't write blogs about it because they're Tommy Caldwell and they don't need to. Yeah, that was the most boring thing he did that year. Yeah, or they're like really <laughs> rad people who live in Kaktovik, like you said, who just get out and send it hard and then... Was the skiing good? I'll let Sophia take that one. <laughs> oh, man, this is where you're like, you're asking the person who like loves skiing icy bumps back in the day, you know, if the skiing was good. The skiing was skiable, which makes it good to me. Um, it was like high alpine conditions. It was super firm, but smooth and edgeable and beautiful. 
Um, but it was definitely kind of those no fall conditions where you can get your edges in, but if you start going fast and you fall, it's like, you're just not going to self arrest. Um, so I love that kind of skiing. So I thought it was quite good. Um, and we had an absolutely like blue bird day, stunning views. You know, I think the region's not known for a lot of snow, which really ties into this project a lot as well. Um, so I think it was an incredibly fun ski, definitely, and really cool mountain, like super sustained, long. Up top was pretty technical. Um, not even snow to the top. Jim and Kit did some like dry tooling um, to reach the full summit. And then, you know, there was a probably 200 foot blue ice patch right underneath the summit that sort of with our risk management being that far out, we decided to boot down and put skis on a little bit lower um, and then skied through there through some tight rocks and hop turns. And then finally, like just a big open where you could like rip all the way back down to the bottom. Um, my favorite part was we skied down the Bravo Glacier back to base camp. And there was about three inches of like perfect snow. And that was like party shredding and just celebrating and soaking in the views. So I think it was a great ski. Hell yeah. Yeah, that was like, there's such like a skier answer and I love it so much. You just described how much it sucked for like the first two minutes of that. And then we're like, then there was like some three inches of blower pile and it was party and everyone was celebrating. It's like, yeah, it was great. And you're like, wait, you just said how bad it sucked for like the first, like, that's why I love skiing, I think. Cause it's like, no, it was good. Like at the end of the day, it was good. Yeah. I mean, we could have been in a, could have been in a cubicle or something. Right. I mean, that's not a bad day at work for anybody no it's a beautiful thing but it is work and i want everyone listening to know that these guys bust their ass to make you 34 minutes of something that they put their heart and soul into so you should all take 34 minutes of your lives and watch it and comment it comment on it and like it and share it and even if you hate it write it write like a reason why you hate it though that's the number one bothers me about when people don't like things tell me why you don't like it yeah because then i will accept whatever you wrote like this sucks because give me reason why you think this sucks it is tough on the internet because yeah yeah, I'm, I'm super down with like good constructive feedback but you get a lot of people that are just like this is dumb and your face is bad and you're like oh interesting point thank you i look just like chris jericho actually so. <laughs> this is the longest my hair's ever been and i i appreciate that you are finding some joy in it i love it but I'm a wrestling dork, so like, I don't know, grain of salt with me. Do you feel, talking about the internet, because we this is a wonderful world we live in. So you guys make this ski film, and it's all about the Arctic Refuge. And it's really like, kits coming to life of like, okay, I've done all these selfish things. And now I'm doing something for the greater good, maybe, or using my skill set for the greater good. There's going to be people on the internet who are like, just ski. <laughs> like, how do you feel about, cause it's almost an, I don't want to say it's like an activism film. Cause it's, there is some activism in there, but I didn't get, I didn't feel like I was being sold anything. I just felt like, like you guys were telling the story of what's happening and what the rules are. There was no, there was some political stuff in there, but none of it was like, this guy sucks or this person made the wrong choice. It was just like, these are the decisions that were made we're going out here to check this out, which I enjoyed that you guys didn't like, could have easily picked sides. And I think all, we all know what sides we're picking here, but 
Do you feel as one filmers to athletes that it is your job to shed light on these things, make statements about them? And I don't care who answers first, but I think we got to get both of your answers here. I'm going to let Sophia take it because I think as a filmer, that's like literally the entirety of the job. <laughs> End of my answer. <laughs> yeah, I think sports have always been political, you know. I think across history, if you look at sports, they are rooted in politics um, from, you know, wrestling in the like American Revolution for like slaves to gain freedom. You know, I think if you look at a lot of sort of like impact moments in which we've seen social justice change in the United States, it's rooted in this like blend of sports and politics. You know, I think people say like the Olympics is free of, you know, political things, but it's always been political. So for me as an athlete, I think, you know, I live by the idea of like silence is also a very strong political statement. Um, and so anything we do has an impact. And I think being silent upholds like normalized oppression typically. And so the only way to like fight that is to like be vocal about what you care about. Um, and so, yeah, that's important to me. And I think there's a lot of different pathways to do there, whether it's like overtly, um, if it's like in other ways, you like uplift people through like mentorship, if it's like through, you know, actual like political avenues, like using sort of like your social capital from your sports. Um, but I think it's cool. And I think that like, for me, knowing Kit well, I don't necessarily see this as like new to her, you know? I think in many ways, like the act of being the first person, whether it be like a man or a woman to do the seven summits in some ways, like political as well, right? Like she has created space for me to exist as an athlete in this realm, you know? And it wasn't hard and it was incredibly daunting. Um, and, you know, that took a lot of work for her to kind of break down those barriers. And so I think it's cool to continue to do that work together um, to one, try to protect the Arctic and then also, you know, uplift other voices as well through these opportunities. I think that's the greatest answer I've ever been given on my podcast ever. Woo. Nice. <laughs> like you nailed that. Cause I agree. And I obviously asked the question cause some people are like, you know, I struggle with it. Like, I don't know. My job is to ski. So maybe I should just shut up and ski. And like, that's an interesting because it is like it. You get paid to ski. You don't get paid to be political sometimes. But you're like, like, oh, you you nailed it. So like, I don't have anything cool on my on my hot cues. I have a little bit of an objection though to that. To like, you get paid to ski. You don't get paid to like have an opinion. But like, were you born as a podcaster? Like, none of us were originally paid to do what we get paid now. Like, you're allowed to explore new avenues. You're allowed to grow as a human being into new channels of like outreach you know that's a to me that's like a kind of offensive way to tell somebody to stop being themselves i don't know like and also uh, it seems kind of arrogant to expect somebody who's made a, a career on the snow to not have strong opinions about protecting snow and cold weather you know that seems silly also oh i agree with you i'm just saying like i just it's just the internet like that's what pe oh, yeah. people are just like like people are mad at jeremy jones for like caring and it's like what do you want him to do like he's doing his best to like shot like use his platform for like what he believes is good right like that's yeah. and 
you know, everyone has their own beliefs and that's great and that's fine. But like, I don't know. I agree with you 100%, both of you. Like, I think we should use these. And by saying nothing is doing something. And I, I am a podcast host and I'm on the air every week. So I like should, I like to think I'm on the right side of things. And there's plenty of times on this podcast where I'm like, I'm blonde hair, blue eyed, white guy. Like, this is my time to shut up and listen. And like, it's amazing. Like I've had conversations about things that I never understood. And the problem is I'm doing them publicly. Like, and that's awesome. Like, it's really cool. But I've had some guests who like, we had different upbringings. We had different everything. And I'm just like, I don't know. I have no idea. And that's okay. So by having these conversations, not this, this one's easy for me. Like, should we care about like our earth melting? I think so. <laughs> like, I think that's the, like, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm a bumbling idiot, but like, I think that one's easy, but there are some subjects that people like really don't understand. And then because they don't understand it, they choose to like, just because you don't understand it doesn't mean it's wrong. It just means you don't understand it and it's okay to not understand it. I mean, that's like a ridiculous sentence, but there's some truth to it. I think maybe I'm wrong, but the world is ending. And that's basically what this whole, um, <laughs> this whole movie's about. So <laughs> you guys all get to watch it and really enjoy it. So, but let's talk about, so, okay. So you guys summit Mount Hubley, you ski it. And that seems like a bait and switch for the entire, for everyone there. Cause now like within the first two days, the fun is over. And now you guys, how far do you traverse in total? Yeah, I think from our original landing point with the plane, it was, or I guess I should say, we went from, we landed at this place called Akpelik Lake, went up, did the mountain, and we came back to Akpelik Lake. So I consider that like the starting point of both missions, but it was, what was it, Sophia, 55 miles to Kaktovik, but like as the crow flies and we were, you know, we were weaving a little bit. Yeah. And it was crazy. That wasn't our original plan. Our original plan was to base camp out of Akpelik Lake, skin out to some different like snow science sites, and then actually come back. Um, and during our time on Mount Hubli, it was so warm that our pilot told us he wouldn't be able to land on Akpelik Lake because the snow was going to melt out and we had a choice. And we could either fly out right after Hubli and like get out of there, or there's a real developed airstrip in Kaktovik and that we were going to have to walk there to get picked up. Um, so it was kind of a cool team discussion. And um, we had heard stories of Kit walking all the way across the coastal plain to Kaktovik. And I think at one point in time, you know, Sarah Carpenter joined us as like this total badass and like someone I admire so much. And her joke was like, well, I'm not going to walk to Kaktovik. I think her um, partner had been on that trip with Kit and had heard kind of just how hard it was. Um, but we came together as a team and we were like, no, the snow science part really is like the core of this and really what we're here to do. And, you know, let's get ready to, to slug it out and walk all the way to Kaktovik to the ocean as far north as we can go. How much time did you have to prepare for that? Like the, the swerve? Like what, at what point did you know you couldn't get picked up? We started to get a little info kind of just as we landed um, on Akpelik and headed up to Hubli, but really coming back, it was sort of like a one day decision of like communicating with the pilot via, you know, in reaches and making that call um, and then having to figure out how long it was going to take us to get to Kaktovik to be able to schedule another flight to come pick us up. 
So it was definitely quick and a little daunting, but I think, yeah, epic at the same time. And you guys had what you had. Like there was no, like you weren't resupplying. You weren't like you, that's what you had. Yeah. We came with a lot of like extra stuff just in case. Cause the weather there can be so bad that like this was planned on two weeks, but we knew it could have been three weeks if a storm blew in, no plane could come get us. So we had a bunch of extra food and stuff and we were prepared for some sort of eventuality. So we just, we did some math or like 55 miles. We can do, you know, a good like eight to 12 miles per day. Jim was like, let's just do 55 miles nonstop and just get this done. <laughs> but he's also a machine wearing human skin. So, um, but yeah, we just did the math and we we're like, oh, it'll take us, I don't know, maybe four or five days. So we grabbed like six days worth of food to be safe. And so 55 miles, five days, 2000 foot of vertical drop. I think a little less than that even. What was it, Sophia? Like 1,500 feet maybe a vertical drop? Yeah, I don't know the full stats. <laughs> so you're just like walking. Walking. Yeah. For all intents and purposes, it was the flattest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. And my family's from Nebraska, so that's like not <sighs> a statement I make lightly. Nebraska sucks. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just have to drive through it every time I go out west. And I'm like, man, this whole state just sucks. I'm sorry. You're not wrong. It's probably okay, but. Driving it is like, I've never wanted like a self-driving vehicle more in my life until oh. I've hit Nebraska. I'm like, this is where it makes sense. Yes, 100%. Everywhere else I'll drive, I'm fine with. But is it was it fun? Like, I know it's for science, right? But we all ski because we like to. And we all go on adventures because like, there is a fun element to it. This doesn't seem fun at all <laughs> i liked it i don't know i mean sophia might have a different stance but like i love backpacking so i'm totally down with just like walking for 10 hours straight for like five days straight i don't know i enjoy that and this was very this was something i'd never done before so i loved it it do i want to do it again i don't know but i loved it in the moment how did you feel, Sophia? Yeah, I'm probably, again, the wrong person to ask about these things. But again, <laughs> like, loved it for sure. I think, you know, that type two fun is definitely fun. Um, and I would say, like, the first day was, like, legitimately super fun. Like, I think, you know, we had the energy of, like, skiing the mountain and sort of, like, starting off on this new adventure. And the, like, topography really changed a lot. We sort of, like, left the mountains. Like, we saw caribou for the first time which was like amazing and they're so integral to the story i think the porcupine caribou herd you know is really threatened by the oil drilling um and is like the main main food source for like the Gwich'in communities who live there um so getting to like connect and see those caribou was incredible and to move slowly through terrain is how you get those special moments you know you were walking by wolf tracks and we saw our first polar bear tracks um and the first day was pretty epic following the frozen river and then the next three days like switched to being hard <laughs> like sort of like cold it got snowy and foggy so you lost the beautiful views and we were doing both kind of like big pushes and then stopping midday to do our snow science, which just meant it was cold. Um, and you didn't really have a chance to like warm back up. Um, flat walking does not feel like particularly great on the feet. So like, I feel like a lot of our breaks came from like your feet just cramping and having to stop and like reset so, rather than like fitness. And then I'd say like the last day, like we had the most beautiful sunset. Um, it never gets dark. 
uh, that far north in Alaska in April, but it was just like stunning. And you could kind of feel that you were getting close to the ocean and it was incredibly fat, flat, but felt different. Um, and so I feel like, yeah, there's definitely a little dip a little bit there in the middle, um, but coming out on the other side was super special. How do you entertain yourselves? Like, are you guys listening to tunes? Are you having conversations? Because this is 10 hours of walking. Like, you're, and you're not, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're not suffering as far as, like, what most people are thinking of, like, a ski mission. You're walking on pretty flat surfaces. You guys are all superior athletes, plus Nate. And then, (laughs) (laughs) no, but you know what I mean? Like, you guys have all trained for this. You're all there. Are you bored? Are you singing to yourselves? Are there sing-alongs happening? Like, what is the vibe? Are there just like, I mean, obviously we don't want to talk dirt on anybody, but like, is everyone just like twitchy, like mad at each other? Or is it just like, this is what we're doing? I thought it was a pretty good group. We listened to some podcasts, listened to some some music. You know, we all had like little earbuds and stuff, but we would chat sometimes too. Uh, Jim like I said, is a machine wearing human skin. So he would always be a good quarter mile in front of the entire group, just chugging every now and then he'd look back and make sure we were still there. And yeah, we just kind of cruised. I thought it was, I don't know. I thought it was pretty cool. We had a pretty good rapport. We'd like, you know, the, the order would shuffle a little bit and you'd chat for like half an hour and then you'd listen to your podcast and it wasn't so bad. There was, what was it, Sophia? Day three, the weather was just truly miserable and that was the day where i think we uh none of us were really having fun anymore but other than that we were just out in the snow which is our favorite place to be yeah i don't know i listen to some of your podcasts adam i'm a fan you know i love you guys so it's fun to like be in it and like listen to that yeah music incredible always too i somehow like was on the short end of like having enough phone energy to survive it so there's like one point in time where i was like oh i think i'm gonna have to do like six hours today without any sort of like phone power like can i do it let's go um i think you get to like know yourself you know you're like you know your teammates and like that's where those like deep connections come from and you get to spend time with people in sort of like a space of like nothingness which is so beautiful um so yeah i think getting to connect with everyone on the team and that like deeper level um and then also like with yourself as like you're kind of not talking to anyone i think it's definitely for me how i do a lot of like processing um of getting to like be in a space and have to like confront those inner thoughts and sort of like figure things out as you're walking along too yeah it's amazing we're like you're in the like one of the most beautiful places in the world and i'm like what do you got in your ears (laughs) it's like what are you listening to (laughs) if there is an album that you listen to on repeat. It doesn't even have to be on this trip. What album is it? Sophia, you can go first. Oh man. I feel like I get hooked on one song and they'll be all over the place and I'll listen to them on repeat for a long time. Um, And they're anywhere from like DMX to like Kesha to like the talking heads to like whatever, like I don't even know, like found to like classical music to like the Nutcracker. And I'm like embarrassed ever to like share a playlist with people, you know, when you're in a car and someone's like, oh, DJ. Like, oh no, please no. Because you're gonna listen to this one song on repeat and I have no idea what it's gonna be for the next like 10 hours and you're gonna judge me heavily, which is like valid and I'll take that critique for sure. I'm a weirdo when it comes to music. What about you, Nate? What's your album or song? I'm in a similar boat. I have pretty weird music tastes. Um, 
I listened to a lot of like acoustic stuff, like kind of bluegrassy and some some classical out there because the nature just really got me in the vibe for like I wasn't feeling like electric guitars and drums out there. I was feeling peaceful. Um, but there's one musician that I have just never gotten tired of, and he is my go-to, and it's Stevie Wonder. I'm just a enormous Stevie Wonder fan to a point it's kind of embarrassing. And shout out to Nate. He's also a musician. That's Dang, true. I didn't know that. What do you play? Kazoo. Oh, I hope so. No, I'm just... Kazoo's hard. No, harmonica is hard. Kazoo, I think, is pretty easy. Yeah, kazoo is just like humming with a thing in your mouth. But uh, I was a classical violinist growing up and then transitioned more into, I don't know, I lived in Boulder, Colorado, so it's exactly what you'd expect, like kind of weird jam bandy bluegrass stuff for a while. And then I grew up. And then I grew up. Well, if you want, you can play violin in my hardcore Smash Mouth cover band called Mouth Smash. Oh, it's a hype. It's a it's a dream band, but I'm building a super group right now. Oh, I mean, that actually sounds kind of fun. I worked in a brewery when I was in Boulder because that's actually a legal requirement to live in Boulder. And um, one of the days, one of the guys from Jimmy Eat World came in. And he said he was starting a bluegrass band and asked if I wanted to be in it. And I was like, this is one of the weirdest sentences that's ever been said. But, yep. I'm in. And then it didn't wow. go anywhere. Dang. But it sounded pretty fun it's for like a my mouth smash band. It's time to interrupt your episode. I'm sorry, guys. But I got to tell you about these Fisher skis. This new Fisher Ranger is the most supple and agile ski that I have been on in years. The Ranger 102 is so much fun. It makes me, a mediocre skier, a better skier. It makes great skiers like Kyle Smain better than Kyle Smain. I don't know how they do it. That's their job, not mine. Go to fishersports.com. Check out the whole line of Ranger skis. I personally will be on the Ranger 102 and the Ranger 108 if it actually snows out. I've got the new Ranger 130 boot with one of the raddest walk modes I've ever seen and used in my life. I had the opportunity to use it last week blown away by how well designed this boot is so go to fishersports.com and check them out while we're in the middle of ads in the middle of an episode go to rumple.com 25 percent off almost everything on the site right now this sale happens twice a year it's happening right now go to rumple.com you don't need a special code there's free shipping over 50 bucks i think it's over 49 dollars rumple.com Weatherproof, all-season blankets. It's 25% off. If it's been sitting in your cart, if you've been thinking about it, debating it, go get yourself a blanket. These things are great for everything from the couch to your van to sitting around a campfire to, I mean, it's so small, the Nano Puff, you could put it in your bag and carry it on your tour and have a picnic at the top of the mountain. These things are rad and they are 25% off right now. The entire site, well, most of the site. Go to rumple.com, get yourself some Rumple stuff. We love you all. Back to the episode. Yeah. I just have the name. Like, I want someone out there to start a hardcore Smash Mouth cover band called Mouth Smash and just play one night, one night only, and just market the shit out of it, sell it out, and, like, that's it. And you can... Yeah. Play your number one hit, Star All. Yeah. That's it. See? (laughs) Now you get it. I think it would crush you could play other like bad songs from that genre. There's plenty. For sure. Okay, Nate, you're walking across the Arctic Refuge here. Mile 26. Everyone's fucking mad at each other. You, the filmer, who has a job to do other than just walk. Not saying the walking part's easy, but like 
how are you like, hey guys, we had, can you do that seven more times or can you wait? So like, how do you line up these shots? Yeah, that part did get a little bit tough. And it also gets really tough on like day three of the tundra because you're like, how many more shots of walking across flat do we need? Like the answer is more than zero, but you're like, do I want to send like 25 hours of Sophia's feet skinning footage? Like probably not, but you still need to like tell the story. Um, that is probably like the only part of this process that I felt like really got tense was like when we were all kind of miserable. It was super cold and we were just like sick of being flat. And it was like, okay, everybody stand here in the negative five degree weather for 10 minutes. We're going to go ahead and like set up a tripod and rig up our whole system. Yeah. People got a little grumpy. I understand it for sure. Um, but overall, I don't know. It was pretty good. I think the part that was the most demoralizing was that we could see Kaktovic for like two and a half days um, oh. just because it's so flat. I think, we were like 25 miles away and we could see it. And it was like, oh, cool. It's just right there. And then you look at the map and you're like, oh, no. And that, <laughs> that was tough. Like our last night, it felt like we were in Kaktovic city limits and we were still like eight miles out. Yeah, I guess I didn't think about that. That would be frustrating to say the least. Yeah, it was a little demoralizing because like, I mean, like Sophia, you said you lost a couple toenails. My feet were literally bleeding. We were like. We're, we're ready to not be walking across flat tundra anymore. And, you know, we're dragging the sleds and there's like big sistrugi from all the wind. And so like you go over the big hump and like it kind of jostles your feet and then your giant sled catches it too. And it like yoinks you around and your toes slam into your boots a second time. And then that just repeats every like two minutes for eight hours straight. And you're just like, ah, cool. I hope my legs fall off. <laughs> oh, sick, 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 sick. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I think awesome walking on flat is almost harder. Like it's. Oh yeah. Going up Sophia is. Kept, Sophia kept trying to like do bets with people. She was like, oh, throw that snowball. And if you can't, you have to walk with your heel risers up on your bindings. <laughs> we were like, no, Sophia, that will, I will kill myself. I am not <laughs> doing die. it. Did you have any major gear malfunctions? Shift bindings. So. We oh. had one shift binding malfunction on summit day. Who um, brought a shift? One of our, our uh, filmers, Nate Jodge. Uh, he was actually the 200-pound guy who got to come on the trip. So, you know, That's Dodge true. is a legend. And he um, brought shifts. This guy was bringing a lot so of weight. Tall. Yeah. You're saying not many tall people came on our trip, but everyone was so tall. There's one picture of me, and I don't even come up to, like, Jim's armpit it's such like an awkward and between jim and sarah and they both have their arms out and both of their arms are above my head um but we had one shift malfunction we had a dropped camera that oh, rolled yeah. down mount hoobly um oh, nice. so that was fun and uh, jim stopped it jim was below the filmer that that dropped the camera and he put himself in harm's way to stop this camera that was probably going like 60 miles an hour and i still I still kind of have nightmares about that. Cause like, what if we just turned Jim's leg inside out with that thing halfway up this mountain, that would have been the worst. Yeah. I mean, it's flying at that point and their yeah. cameras are light, but like not, it's a mini yeah, boulder. No. It would have definitely broken his leg, but he stopped it with his ski boot. Cause he's a world-class athlete. He's got that, <laughs> that messy Lionel Messi foot skills, you know? Oh, Amazing. Who would have thought he would have used that skill set for that? Was the camera totaled or is it fine? It was smoked, yeah. It, I mean, overall pretty okay, but the lens mount where the lens and the camera attach was bent out on both the lens and the camera, so they were both yeah, just done. Garbage. Probably wouldn't happen <laughs> on a Canon. 
<laughs> You're right, because there would never be one out there. Oh, that's true. You couldn't carry enough batteries. It just cooked immediately. Uh, let me look at my other questions. I don't have that many left, which is good. We like that. I like that. I do have a couple questions about the snow science. And I, I'm like kind of tiptoeing around some things because I want people to watch this film, obviously. Like, I don't want to just say everything that happens. How long does that take? The actual like probing of the snow in like this like death spiral thing. How long is that taking? And how often? We did uh, four of them. Um, three kind of in a straight line, and then one was at like a pre-established snow science location the, determined by the um, University of Alaska geoscientists. Um, I mean, I guess I was always distracted, like setting up cameras and stuff. How long did it take you guys? Sophia was like literally in the trench. Yeah, hours, I would say. <laughs> yeah. Like at least like one and a half to two hours to like get it all done. It was super cool. We kind of divided and conquered. Kit walked around probing the snow and um, yeah, the legendary Sarah Carpenter um, was our main snow scientist. Um, and so she was in charge of digging a pit and then um, doing a bunch of different tests from depth measurements to also a lot of like density and how much water was in the snow, um, which was hard. You know, I think some of the equipment we had to like measure that stuff, you know, is like blowing around in the wind and like pulling on the strings that are attached to like measure how like dense the snow is. Um, so you're trying to use your body as like a windshield to help get like good data in that way. Um, the snow is also so firm as like a crust and then so faceted underneath that, you know, like some of the equipment like almost wasn't strong enough to cut through the top layer of crust. And then the bottom was like so soft that you were punching immediately to the ground. Um, and yeah, they were kind of cool pits. They were 16 meters long. Um, but then you would see it and it would just be like this deep. And it's like the funniest picture ever of a snow pit. Cause you're kind of used to seeing, you know, the winter snowpack in, you know, the rest of like the lower 48 or, you know, anywhere else in Alaska too. And it's deep and it's multiple feet or meters deep. And then these are like itty bitty little, very long snow pits. Um, but it was cool. And then just taking a bunch of you know, measurements to like validate that data as best as you can. And that was also very telling, like the fact that it was hard as a rock on top, basically, and then just facets underneath was like, it's kind of what we're talking about here. Like this is kind of, there's a, there's a shot where I think it's in Sarah's hand and like you can, the snow is like so tired i don't know if that's 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 not a technical term but like it's so tired like if anyone's night skied yeah, on the east coast <laughs> like but like if anyone's like night skied on the east coast like that's what we call it like it's just been like pushed and slit like it's just it's got nothing left it will never bond to itself again it's just tired i mean that's like I don't, that's a new term i'm coining it because like it, it. it's what it is it's just like the snow is so it's probably just dry, I guess would be the correct term, right? There's not a lot of moisture in that. And freakishly cold. Yeah. But like it just, they're like individual crystals that will never bond again. Which like when you guys all watch this film, you, it'll all make sense. 
Yeah, it was cool being up there with Sarah Carpenter. For those listening who don't know who she is, she was the you know one of the owners of the American Avalanche Institute for a long time. So arguably knows more about snow science and avalanche safety than like almost anybody else alive. And it was interesting watching like she got surprised many times up there because it's just such a unique snowpack. Like um, what was she saying, Sophia? Here we say like, you know, ground zero, basically like the ground is usually zero degrees Celsius. That's kind of it's insulated, et cetera. And there was a couple of times you guys were taking like negative 20 degree surface temperatures up there, right? Yeah. And because you have the permafrost, right? So mm -hmm. talking about those temperature gradients and how like moisture moves through the snow was really, really cool to get to just sit with Sarah and listen to all of that. Is all of that filmed? And like, will there be a behind the scenes for all the nerds to like see all this data? Because like you guys kind of made like the sizzler. Like I don't want to say it's porn because it's not the ski porn, but it's like this is the juicy stuff. And then I'm sure there's a ton of like just standing by Sarah at any one of these pits and like actually like deep diving into it. Is that a thought? Is that? Yeah. Okay. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess I don't mind. I'm not, I don't feel like we're spoiling anything, but we can kind of fill in the listeners a little bit on like what the, the point of the snow science was, if you don't mind, I feel like it would be kind of it's helpful. You guys, that's. It's your yeah, guys built this podcast. They've earned it. <laughs> well, they should have watched it already. That was the goal is that they've watched it and they know what we're talking about. So I guess we're not spilling anything at this point. Yeah. So basically we were in the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge, which is, uh, you know, probably most famous, unfortunately, for um, the U.S. government vaguely trying to open up oil and gas exploration there. Um, but it's unfortunately also like one of the most fragile ecosystems in the world. And it's extremely important to both the Gwich'in indigenous community and the porcupine caribou herd, which is the largest land migration in North America. So it's just in, immensely important to hundreds and hundreds of thousands of living creatures. And so for some reason, the Bureau of Land Management uh, did an environmental impact statement and they came out with this regulation they call the, the record of decision, the ROD that there has to be nine inches of snowpack over the tundra in order to properly drive oil and gas exploration vehicles over it without damaging the tundra. And of course, if you have seen snow for even a single second of your entire life, you're going to be like, wow, nine inches of snow. I can just push my finger through that and touch ground. That won't protect anything. And <laughs> you would be right. Um, but part of what we were there for is like, this is a uh, kind of a desert. It's very, very cold, but it doesn't snow very much. And then it gets ridiculously windy. So the snow just kind of blows out. And so our, I don't want to say hypothesis because we weren't like actually forming a scientific opinion, but our expectation, Kit's expectation, having been there five times before this, was that there is not nine inches of snow over the tundra. Um, and I guess there also has to be, I think, three inches over the highest tussock. And so, you know, it's not like a perfectly homogenous surface. And there's so many scenes in this where we're skiing and you can just see like rocks sticking up out of the snow. There's clearly not nine inches of coverage, but you can't just say like, look at this photo I took and then submit that to Congress as evidence. So we took like legitimate snow measurements for uh, the majority of this. We worked with geoscientists at the University of Alaska Fairbanks and we took legitimate measurements. Kit had a, a geotagged a snow depth probe called a magna probe that every time she measures it, it measures the snow depth and the exact GPS location. And then Sarah and Sophia were digging trenches and doing snow pits analysis. So they would do density, temperature, SWE, 
uh, a whole uh, array of different measurements to to show that this was, you know, very supportable in some places. There was places I couldn't get my pole in. And then there was other places when you would drop a glove and it would just land on bare ground. And you can't, I don't personally think if I'm allowed to editorialize, I don't think you could drive a truck along this ever and not leave tire tracks, even if you did it in the dead of winter. So that was the idea. Spoiler alert, everybody. <laughs> yeah. No, I think, I mean, I think it's fine. And maybe we'll cut that and put it towards the beginning if we really want. But I think ideally most people who are listening to this episode have already hopefully listened or watched it, or they're going to listen to this while driving and then get the greater, greater picture. But what do we do with all that data now? Like, where does it end up? Uh, I mean, it goes into these, these scientists are the ones who actually study it and actually like help inform the Bureau of Land Management on future objectives. Um, but then also it's very useful for like citizen lobbying efforts. Um, Kit is very, very involved in that. She's already gone to Washington, D.C. To, to lobby on behalf of the Arctic Refuge. And now going in, not just saying I saw dirt, but I literally took 10,000 measurements and they were dirt. It will be very helpful. If you were to go back, what would you both do differently? Nate, you can go first. Well, that was, I thought that was going to be a longer. That's a broad question. That's it. Um, that's it. Just what would you do differently? You mean for like if we we're going to do this project again or just like this exact next year project? I get the, okay. Like exact. it's more like what did you learn by doing it? I guess. Let me rephrase the question. What did you learn? Because you've done it. What did you learn and now what would you have done differently? Um, I think more time would have been kind of nice. Um, the, the unfortunate reality with science is just more is better as far as data goes. And we, I think we did a great job with the time we had there. And um, like Sophia said, the, the days digging those snow pits were long and exhausting. And it would have been cool to maybe go a little slower, dig more of them. Just the more data you have, the better. And instead of just doing a straight line to Kaktovic, maybe have like a couple teams doing like a fan shape or something. Just, you know, spread spread the love out a little bit and get more data for more surface area. What about you, Sophia? Yeah, um, I kind of agree with me. I think more time is always beautiful to like be in a place and get to be present. Um, we didn't have any layover days. And so I think every day was, you know, getting up, breaking down tents, you know, it just takes forever to get that cold morning started and then packing up everything, moving and doing that. And so I think one layover day lets you just like be present in a space. Um, but I think, you know, weather is always a really big factor and the fact that you can get stranded in any place um, and not get picked up is looming in the back of your head. So I think it's a balance between being present and like knowing what a daunting environment you're in um, and just giving yourself absolute margins in everything you do. Um, so I think if I could do it again, I would have one layover day um, just to get to like sit and be a little bit more present with everyone as the team and things like that. Um, Cause everyone worked so hard the whole time for sure. Yeah. More time is always, I'm always, I'm the opposite. I'm always like, I want to get out of here. I'm done. I want out. I'm sick of it. (laughs) I'm sick of it. I like where I am. It's easy. I'm happy here. Are you, and maybe this is a more of a question for Nate. 
Are you happy with the end result as far as yeah. the film that you put out? Yeah, definitely. Um, it's tough being that close to the whole production process start to finish because um, we have like 10 different films that we've made at various points during the editing process. And I'm always going to feel a little heartbroken about like storylines that I loved that ended up getting cut and storylines that I thought would be fun to include that we weren't able to either from a time constraint or budgetary restrictions or whatever. Um, but I am very happy with the way it came out. And that's just, I guess, kind of like the dichotomy of being a creative is that there's always going to be ways that you want to nitpick the product and how you can improve it. And I guess that's your job as a director is like always to think of ways to, to improve it. And that's, that's one of the things Natasha is so intense about. And it's like so amazing to watch her work because she'll text me at like 11 PM on a Saturday and be like, I just, I just changed this one sequence at 27 minutes in. Will you check it out really quick? And I'm like, what are you doing right now? It's go to bed. Um, it's really cool. But so, yeah, I'm very happy with it. There's always, you know, I'll watch it two years from now and I'll be like, I hate this part. I wish we'd done something differently, but that's how it goes. You make something as good as you can. You put it out there. And then you let the internet tell you that you suck. And they will. I promise oh, yeah. you they will. <laughs> I'm trying to think of the best way to answer or to ask this question, I guess. But it's more like, no, I think you answered. I was just going to say, is there anything, I guess, Sophia, is there anything you would have done differently during the filming? Looking back at it. Like you've seen it, you've seen what cuts. Is there something that you're like, and maybe this is you spilling the beans to Nate and being like, you know, you put me in there putting sunscreen on and brushing my teeth. <laughs> like, is there anything that you were like, ah, oh, I wish that would have made the cut that didn't? Yeah, for sure. I think that, you know, 30 minutes is both long and short. Um, and I think what I'm so proud of this film is how it really like captures Kit's essence. And I think that like, you know, it's cool to be team support and get to like uplift somebody that you like look up to a lot. Um, and I think it does a really good job of like showing who Kit is as like both this incredible badass, but also just with an enormous heart. Um, I think, you know, like I'd be interested to hear a lot more of the interviews. You know, it's always like interesting to know that all of your teammates are up, you know, giving two hour interviews and like, what are they talking about? You know, and I think a lot of those kind of disappeared, you know, doing those in the field and things like that as well. Um, and knowing that everything has to like have its context and you're not just making a film about this adventure. It's like so much of Kit's story and there's so much there, you know, like she has skied in a lot of incredible places and done a lot of incredible things and is an incredible human herself. Um, so it's cool to see that story come through and then also, you know, kind of want the, the back end of hearing what, you know, other people kind of talked about. Um, I think one thing, yeah, that got cut was sort of like the indigenous community and that was painful. Um, but I think also, you know, like there are parts of this film that like we got, you know, permission to be on the land. And I think there were, you know, times that we could have incorporated more and like definitely dropped the ball on that and couldn't like find ways to get different interviews to fit. You know, I guess maybe I would have liked to see you know, I feel like I know some folks like Ellen Bradley, who's like a really badass indigenous snow scientist, be like, damn, that's the next film, right? Is like all of this again, but with like folks who are like directly impacted and have like other knowledge to add. Um, 
But I think, again, in like looking at progression, like you're never going to nail it in the moment. Right. And I think that is like the arc has to be positive. And so in many ways, I think this film is inherently positive, right? Like we're having a conversation of like, what does it look like to pair your ski adventures with reciprocity, with giving back, with being bigger than just yourself? Like that is beautiful. I think there are so many ski missions that are purely extractive and only taking from the place that we travel from. Um, And yet I think like as you push that bar higher, there is like a number of glass ceilings still to get to. Um, and I think that like some of that isn't shown in the film. Um, and there was like some good intentional work in that. And I think it's just a question of like, how do we continue to work on that together? Cause I think the heart and the gold of everyone on this team, um, was there. Um, but then, you know, things get cut when you have time issues and things like that. And so I think just remembering that it's hard and it's always going to be hard and like centering some of those voices from the start um opens up like more more to be had but we're we have those opportunities right like things will continue to grow nate do you have a rebuttal to that i don't think it's a rebuttal but i don't have any like that's got it's got nothing to do with me i didn't make it i didn't or do you have you guys openly communicated like that all oh, of that yeah like no no rebuttal at all we're on the 100 percent the same page sophia and i have talked about that before in person uh yeah absolutely we had we had uh, some fairly significant like indigenous um, involvement in ways that didn't end up panning out the way we were hoping to um, for a myriad of reasons. And that definitely will be a regret of mine as well. Um, it is what it, filmmaking is just so difficult and there's so many moving pieces. And I definitely wish that was incorporated more, but like Sophia said, there are so many more opportunities and it gives all of us, uh, you know, something to strive for with our next projects and, uh, I know for a fact that there are other projects in the pipeline that amplify and focus specifically on the indigenous involvement with this uh, this area. I almost called it the 1002 area, which is like the really disgusting Bureau of Land Management, like drilling designation, but you know, the, the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge. So was there a reason for the 35 minute cut? Like, was that when you went into it, it's going to be a 30 minute film or could you have went for an hour, hour and a half, 10 minutes? Yeah, that's sort of like a relic of a um, like the film festival world. There's like the long form doc and then short doc uh, categories. It's kind of annoying because this is going on YouTube. So like we could have made it 47.3 minutes long if we wanted to. It could have been seven hours long if we wanted to. It doesn't matter. Um, but we wanted to keep the door open for like some festival submissions and stuff. Um, and so we had to keep it under like a certain amount of time to fit one of those categories. Not really sure if anyone even cares about festivals anymore, but I think it sheds light on some things. Yeah. Yeah. It's a little bit of a polarizing thing in the filmmaking community. Cause some of the festivals are like just money grabs. Some of them are really prestigious and actually matter. I don't know. That's I don't so think funny to hear that. I love, I like getting to have like in-person films again has been like the highlight of my fall. It's crazy <laughs> how just like having that human presence all together, like feels so different than like staring at a computer alone. So I'm, 100%. I'm, I'm team, team. That's just because you're in Jackson and like movie premieres yeah. in Jackson are cool. Like yeah. I don't have FOMO at movie premieres until I see one in Jackson and I'm like, damn. 
I guess I should clarify. I don't mean like film festivals are useless. I just mean like submitting to the festival to try win right. an award. Some you pay to, sure pay to win and like it's a it's yeah, a whole yeah, yeah. to do. But I'm with you, Sophia. I went to uh, the TGR premiere and it was just like, oh, there's people here and like skiing and like I'm drinking a beer with other humans around. It was really, that was awesome. It exists. We can do <laughs> this again. Friends. Uh, I asked you both to give me two questions for each other. So I'm going to ask them. Who wants to go first? Ask Sophia my questions first. <laughs> I'm scared of hers. She's too smart. I'm going to be trapped. No, they're not bad. <laughs> okay. Um, so Nate asked, with the overwhelming crowds at resorts and restricted backcountry access beginning in lots of places now, how do you see the future of skiing looking? Oh, Grim. I love it. <laughs> oh, really? I don't, yeah. I think no. overcrowding is like the negative way of like a lot of people getting stoked. I don't know. I don't really feel like the scarcity need in skiing. I think like sometimes you have to be a little bit more creative about where you're going. Um, but I don't know, like an example, this past weekend, we finally have like a bunch of good snow in Jackson and we went touring on Teton Pass and ran into every single friend group that we had in Jackson. And it was so fun and so celebratory and it was amazing. And if you looked two ridge lines over, there were zero tracks everywhere. And so I think like I would way rather be stoked to run into my friends out touring and have it be accessible and know that I can put in a little bit more work to get a little bit farther out if I need some solitude. Um, so I think the future of skiing is looking bright. You know, I think that like friends are going to gather to like tour up resorts and it's going to be like the best evening post-work activity and we're going to see it blossom and it's going to be amazing. Um, I think we're going to find like more communities and things like that um, and give people bigger and more like capable skill sets to seek solitude while they want it. So I'm stoked. Skiing is the best. Um, I think, yeah, I'm nervous about climate change for sure and making sure, you know, we have snow on the ground. But the more people we get involved in the outdoors, the more that will work to protect it. So I'm team fun. I want more friends to come skiing. How do you have such a good attitude about this? <laughs> I'm like, if you don't ski, don't start. I need to like have my, no, I'm not. Yeah. But Cause in some ways I'm a noob, right? Like, so I live in this really weird space of having a ton of ski privilege and being like the kid who started at two and like had professional training and like made the U S ski team. And I moved to Jackson and had skied in the backcountry twice in my life. And one of those days was for my avalanche course. And the other day is when friends took me out. So, you know, people had to be inclusive to me and people opened those doors and it's like the best, like I love skiing the resort still and it's so fun. And yeah, I get frustrated when I'm in lift lines too. Um, but like, people don't see that like, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing without a lot of friends. And I've been really lucky to have those friends on so many different levels, whether it be, you know, people I met, you know, just on the chairlift, or if it's folks like Kit, you know, Kit has been an incredible mentor to me. The very first time we ever skied, I told her that one of my goals was to ski to Grand. And she's like, oh yeah, I'll take you up there. And I essentially got like guided, like hands down, did not have the skills on my own to get to do that. Um, and I think like Kit offered that to me and it's been really fun to get to come back and offer it to other people. But you can only ski something so many times yourself and get a little bit burnt out on it. 
And when you take someone new out, you get their whole like wonder. You get to see it through their eyes. So you might only get to do something new every once in a while, but if you bring someone along, you get to like relive that joy of something being special all the time. Man, I hope I can bottle that someday and just have that. But I think that leads I think that leads me into Nate's second question here, which is what is your number one piece of advice for someone who wants to start doing expeditions like this? Patience, I think. I think we have this idea that we have to get it done right away. Um, and I think the like the learning the skills should be equally as much fun as like the expedition you're setting yourself up for. So I love goals and I think they're beautiful. And I think the coolest part about goals is that if you set something big, you have to work hard to get there. And, you know, there are plenty of days where I'm like sitting on the couch and it's cold outside and I'm like not stoked to go skiing. But then I like look at my goal and I'm terrified and I need so much fitness. So I end up going out and it ends up being an incredible day. So I think like dreaming big, but also saying like what is realistic and how do I like slowly develop over time? Um, so I really am like capable when I arrive in that. And I think we don't see it, you know, but Kit tried to go ski hoobly many times and sometimes they never got in there because of weather. You know, I'm just coming back from a trip in Mexico that I had to cancel two other times because things didn't align. So be patient um, and love the process. I have a question for you, Sophia. We'll get to yours, Nate, I promise. Do you still have your pet rock? I do, yeah. Pet Chuck. Do you know about um, this pet rock, Nate? I don't. And I, why is his name Chuck? See, there's oh, a whole wait. thing. Yeah, he was actually named um, on a hike with Kit up Mount Glory. Um, and this was the second time we ever hiked up Mount Glory. And I was like, Kit, I'm training for Denali and I'm going to get destroyed because everything is so heavy. I'm bringing my pet rock. Um, and then it ended up being so cold that our eyes froze shut. And I was like, oh, my eyes haven't frozen shut since I skied at Waterville Valley, New Hampshire. And Kit was like, my eyes haven't frozen shut since the summit of Mount Everest. And I was like, okay, that's a little bit more badass. <laughs> um but up top um i think it, it was yeah actually it was a mass, massive name job but jimmy chin was like you should name him chuck so that way you can chuck him and get rid of him up top and ski down and not have oh. to deal with this stupid dumb rock of yours and so but you didn't chin. you kept it i didn't know he's great yeah. you still have him i still have him there's all sorts of i'm like really into puns um so there's all sorts of good puns like Chuck tells me to like harden up all the time. Um, or one of those songs I listen to on repeat is ACDC's like hard as a rock. Of course. And it's really nice to walk uphill with like some heavyweight with your rock and listen to it's a hard as a rock. Um, <laughs> what is Chuck's it. current weight? Yeah, he hasn't gained any weight or lost any weight recently. He's Currently. surprisingly stable, which is so nice to have in a friend. He has his um, diet just like nailed. Right? Just dialed yeah, in. exactly. He weighs more than the small dog that my roommate has. So that's funny. Um, and he has 27 pounds. Just a gem. So for anyone who doesn't know, which why would you? Sophia has a pet rock named Chuck that she trains with. She keeps it in her bag so that when she gears up to actually go real places, she is prepared. Am I wrong yeah. in that or? No, not at all. Things are heavy <laughs> and I'm a pretty small human, so I got to work hard. Um, I think this is maybe the secret answer to our question earlier of something you would do different on this trip. Um, I'm nervous that my enthusiasm for hauling sleds across terrible terrain is going to be like a hallmark 
of my personality and a lot on this trip I joked being like you know if anyone wants to invite me to like base camp and just like ski out of one location like I would also be super down with that like it's really hard I've like the last few years have accidentally put myself into these traverse situations where you ski one run and then walk past all the other beautiful mountains um and when you're flying into Mount Hubley for two and a half hours from Coldfoot you're flying over the most beautiful peaks you've ever seen and then the like snow kind of starts to run out and then you land on the flat coastal plain and you're kind of like wait wait y'all the mountains are like back that way like can we hop back in the plane to get dropped off over there um so my deep dark secret is that i actually just really like skiing um and i'm willing to put up with traversing um but please don't please don't forget that i like skiing too when i met you someone was like yeah she has a pet rock that she like keeps in her bag and i was like i gotta find out about this this rock thing because it was a real loose story I was like, yeah, she's a rock. These are the things that you get known for, and you're like, right. It's like she's a rock. She keeps it in her bag. She has a name for it, but she like trains for it. She trains with it, and I was like, all right, I gotta get the scoop here. Can you like switch this that I can just like do backflips or something? Like I don't know. I don't want to be the weird kid who like brushes her teeth and has a pet rock, which is also like in line with who I am. So maybe I'll just own it. Gross. That person trains and has good hygiene. (laughs) Disgusting. (laughs) Yeah. Nate, couple questions for you from Sophia. Okay. Where is on your travel bucket list? Oh man, what a pertinent time for that question. Um, I say that because I just, I got one of those Facebook memories today that it was like from four years ago and I was like, what is your bucket list? And I looked at it and I was like, wow, I actually haven't checked a single one of those off in the last four years. Doesn't mean that I haven't done cool things. I just haven't gone. Mine are all kind of exotic. I desperately want to visit Greenland. Um, I should preface this by saying I'm a sucker for mountains with glaciers on them. So every answer here will have that on there. Um, Greenland, Antarctica, and Bhutan, I think are the three that I'm most into. Um, and I'm going to just make it happen. I've, they're all like really hard to pitch projects for and like brainstorm something unique because there's only so much you can do in Antarctica and other people who are really good with cameras have probably done it by now. So I just came to terms the other day, actually, with I'm probably just going to spend the money and like, I'm going to be a tourist to Antarctica next year. What a concept, right? I don't give a shit. Just yeah, like going on a vacation. <sighs> Weird. Wait, can you take time off as a millennial? Are you allowed to do that? Uh, I think. I don't know. That's yeah. all we do is take time off. You don't work. You just take pictures, right? <laughs> yeah, that's I'm, like I'm what fun the, employed. Yeah. You just take pictures. That's eat, like that's what point pe- and click, baby. That's what people say. Um, question two, let me pull it up here. Oh, I like this question. What is the worst advice you've ever been giving, <laughs> given about photography? Oh man, that is a good question. I got to think about that one. Oh, I have a very, this is going to be a very nerdy technical answer, but I have a, such a distinct memory. When I was first getting into photography, I was like, you know, that curve of like, you don't know anything, but you kind of think you're starting to know stuff. I was like right at the beginning. What is that called? Sophia knows the name of that. Me? No. It's just called Adam. It's called the Adam X curve. <laughs> yeah. You know that where you're like like a confident idiot? It's like the Dunning Kruger effect. Dunning Kruger. I'm exactly in that phase with photography. It feels great. Yeah, perfect. That's kind of where I was, where I like I didn't really know. I think I was I was like just hitting the curve because I like knew that I didn't know anything, but I knew a little bit. And I went into a camera shop and I wanted to buy a lens for astrophotography. And I like knew that I wanted to do it. 
But one of my personality traits you should know is that I'm an obsessive researcher. I'm one of those people who will like be like, oh, I'm going to go hang out with my friends on Friday. And then I'll spend six hours Googling something. And then I'll be like, oh, it's midnight. I'm going to bed. Sorry, friends. So I'm one of those people. Um, and so I did that with astrophotography. And I like learned everything you could know about astrophotography, I thought, having never taken an astrophoto. And one of the things that I can confidently say now, having taken a lot of astrophotos, is that you want a wide aperture lens. So like f1.8, it lets way more light in so that you can take a better, cleaner image with your camera. And I went to this camera store and the guy behind the counter, I told him what I was looking for and he put a lens down and he was like, yeah, you'll just put this sucker at like f16, get that aperture as small as you possibly can so that everything's in focus. And I was like, am I stupid or are you stupid? But like you work at a camera shop, so I must be stupid. And I, that to me is the worst photography advice because I didn't know enough to like, I didn't, I'm not the kind of person who'd like tell a store employee that he's wrong. Probably I would just be like, okay, buddy. But I remember walking out of that store being like, I guess, I guess this is not the career for me. I just don't understand anything about this. Did you and buy? Now I still think about that. Did you buy the lens? No. Cause what he told me was the exact opposite of everything I just read. And I was like, I can't spend like $600. I need to go home and read more because I, I must have read the wrong articles or something. See, so. I'm the guy who buys it and then watches reviews on it after I already own it. <laughs> That's my move because I have to justify the purchase. Oh, fair. I do all that up front and then I do it again after I already have it to make sure. I do enough in the beginning, but I definitely do more after I own it. And then sometimes I cancel it because I'm like, oh, no, I, I this isn't what I wanted. <laughs> That's fair. That's what are you skiing on this year? What did you get anything new? I am on Ranger 102s, Ranger 108s, and Fisher Hannibals. Oh, fun. Yeah, I'm on the Dream Quiver, but I don't have any of them. So if you're listening, please send me them. <laughs> <laughs> it hasn't snowed out there yet, anyways, right? They're oh, they're calling for 30 inches this weekend, Woo! and I'm going to Boston to be at a convention about skiing. Oh. And I'm like, this is oh. the ski industry. Like, like don't go skiing. Like, Killington opens this weekend, probably. They didn't announce yet, but, like, they're going to open. Buffalo is calling for – because the lake is so warm because it's been 70s, and we get hit with lake effect storm. It's the warmest the lake has ever been which all ties into all this, but like the warmest the lake has ever been in like this late in November in like 40 years. So if wow. the lake effect like band builds, we're going to get like just destroyed. just destroyed. And it's actually like my favorite part of the season here because you can like go pow surfing all these spots. Like it's nothing is beat up yet versus like once the resort opens, they just like groom everything and you're like, I don't it you get better power turns when the resorts close than when it's open for some reason here. hundred percent. But yeah, so I will be at a convention in Boston and I cannot wait for it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it should be cool. I have one more question for Sophia. Did you ever make your Shania Twain music video? Uh, it's still coming. It's work. It's in the work in progress. Uh, we got the music rights. And then they took them away. Oh, I think that's because no. is making a comeback. But we hired like a music lawyer buyer in LA and she like talked to Universal. I think how it's going to play out is that Shania is going to learn about this and be like, oh my gosh, I love your 
rewritten song about me and Shania is going to like swoop in and save the day. And my like greatest, like keeps me up at night fear is that Shania is going to learn about it and be like, I hate everything about this. And I'll have to like live with like the rest of my life knowing that like Shania doesn't like us. Dang. This is deep. No, she's going to swoop in. You should DM her. Just DM her. More satire is coming out for sure. You should DM her. You should. I know. DM her on Twitter. That's what Jabber does. That's how Jabber got a hold of Nate because Nate's super famous on Instagram, but no one has any followers on Twitter. So you just talk to him on Twitter and then they'll answer you because yeah. they only and have And also like... new Twitter is amazing. My goodness. It's a, it's like out of control. It, it is, is so great. So fun. Although I went viral for the first time the other day and that wasn't so much less fun than I expected it to be. Did you gain anything from it? I mean, I gained like a couple thousand followers, but... Uh, it's just like a hurricane. You're exposed to every person who owns a phone. And it's just, I got like 185,000 Twitter notifications in 48 hours. And I was just like, <laughs> okay. Well, and then you like post some normal trash. You're like, oh, went to Wendy's today. And everyone's like, boo. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like... <laughs> when it's that thing on the internet, I don't know if you guys have seen the meme. of It's just like people online will just like invent a sentence you didn't say to get mad at you about the thing that you did say. So it was just like. You know, I was my tweet was just like, oh, Colorado, you know, is reintroducing wolves and they legalized psychedelics. That's kind of funny. And it was amazing how many people were like, oh, you're in favor of meth. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say that. Like, you want to execute wolves? And I was like, what's going on right now? I'm, yeah, what I'm just happened? hanging out at my house, man. I was mad that my rebuttal tweet didn't go viral. <laughs> that the last time. The last time I did psychedelics, I reintroduced reintroduced myself to wolves. No one cares. <laughs> that's in line with mouse smash for sure. <laughs> yeah, that's a, <laughs> it's a strong theme. I've never done psychedelics. Whole, I'm sorry. That's his, yeah, that's your whole like comedy style. Is you just flip stuff around. Yeah, it's just trash. Like that's my <laughs> mo. Just the worst things on the internet. Because I think the internet is gonna come around. The internet used to be like angel fire and garbage. And that's what I want it to be again. So I'm going to try my best to not make it good. I appreciate that. It's bad. I do feel bad sometimes people like, well, you guys are perfect examples. It's like, you guys kind of know me in some way, shape or form, but it's like, I DM you. I'm like, Hey, you want to be on a show? It's like, yeah, let me. And then you like, check me out and you like, look at my Instagram. You're like, this guy's on meth. (laughs) How am I ever going to have a real conversation with this human? But yeah, I think you guys do such a good line because I think like skiing needs more sass and like to take itself a little bit less seriously Definitely. and it's coming around and I think like you need all of it right you need like the fact that it's beautiful and inspiring and like you also need the fact that it's like absurd and ridiculous yeah the um, fact that like it's that. gonna nuke this weekend on the east coast and not one person's done a squat and like yeah. everyone's gonna crumble and we're gonna talk about it for the next five days and then anyone who goes is gonna do like one mediocre east coast lap which is like 1400 foot and be like done yeah. or also the fact that <laughs> like, i work at a pt clinic and keep it keeps us in business yeah you're like, like oh how'd you hurt your back they were like i was getting strong for the season i did 273 box jumps and you're like yeah it's understand where your back hurts yeah you went from like, from the couch straight like from the couch tendon denial yeah i don't know it's, it's terrible it's great uh yeah. I don't want to keep you guys too long. Hour and a half. We did good. Nate, Sophia, 
where can we watch this video? Everyone's already watched it if they've listened to this clearly. We do a spoiler alert at the end of what it's all about. Thank you for being on here. We'll let Sophia go first. Where can people follow you? And then we'll let Nate tell everyone where they can follow him and find this film because he's the co-director. So he's got to do all the important stuff. Yeah, he crushes it for sure. Um, oh, man. I think I mostly live on Instagram. Uh, you can find me in real life. Come to Jackson. I'll come skiing with you and make lots of random friends all the time. So just say hi. I have face blindness, so I'll forget about you and then we'll reconnect <laughs> at some point in time. Um, <laughs> it's true. It's tough. <laughs> it's really bad. Is that a thing? Uh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. I'm a neuroscience major. And in college, I took social perception, which was like my professor's specialty was face recognition. And I learned I'm in like the bottom 20% of face recognition. Um, and on my exams, I was like, I can't tell the two different, like the differences between these two faces. And he was like, can we talk after class? Um, and so, yeah, you have all these different skills and recognizing people's faces is one of my worst ones. So I'll remember every fun fact about you, but I can't like find my landlord in like the grocery store. Like that just like really scrambles my brain. And so I have a lot of conversations conversations with people and I'll be like who was that and they'll be like Sophia we met them 10 times ago and I'm like oh right their favorite color is turquoise and their birthday is April 15th I can't recognize them um but yeah my Instagram is <laughs> at Sophia Schwartz um I who knows maybe I'll join TikTok I think I have one that'll be a goal for the season um and mostly you can just say hi and I'll pass it to Nate for things that are actually important I would recommend that you all hit up Sophia if you're in Jackson. She did just peer pressure me to do my first backflip on skis, and I still heard a little bit from it. So she's worth <laughs> hanging out with. Wait, uh, how can we? How have we not talked about this? They came water ramping with me this summer and absolutely stomped his first backflip attempt, and it was. I beautiful. think I saw it. I did. Yeah, I think I saw it. First one good. Second one good. Third one most painful belly flop I've ever had. I can't go back. I always cork. Like I don't have like the, that was me on the trampoline, but for some reason on the ramp, it just worked out. I always throw a shoulder. I always mm. dip one, no matter which way I go. Just go straight oh. to the triple cork 12s, baby. Nah, I just keep my feet on the ground. All right, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> um, I am on the internet as Nate in the wild on basically every platform. And this film will be on the North Face YouTube channel. Um, it's premiering, but a lot of people feel like that means it's like a one and done thing it's not it's just on there forever so if you go to the north face youtube it'll be there that's, love it that's it it's easy love it um, if you can't spell north face i guess you don't get is it north it. face or the north face it is the north i think face. it's the right like technically yeah. but the cool thing is i bet if you type just north face you'll still get there well maybe christmas is coming could just send you right to <laughs> santa.com at the north that's Pole. true they probably they're are. the same at this point um thank you guys thank you for doing yeah. this <laughs> <laughs> that was one of the messier sign-offs i've done but we don't care